Good morning. <laughs> Happy Sunday. Um, I'm Morgan Roberts. I, you can usually find me at the coffee stand before every first service. It's kind of my hangout. Um, but I also lead a connection group with my husband, Sam. Um, and today, we will be in 1 John 1, 5 through 10. So if you want to get that out, we're going to read together. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and with the blood of Jesus, his son. Oh, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, Would you pray with me, Doxa? God, we love you. We're thankful that we could gather today to worship you and learn from your word. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would quiet our minds to hear the message that you have for us. I pray that you would bring us peace and comfort in this time. I pray, Lord, that you would use Sam to deliver your word today and that you would stir our affections for you through his teaching today. Um, And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, Morgan. Morgan's my wife. She's really smart and funny. Um, So that's my introduction to Morgan. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Sam Roberts. Um, I am on staff here at Doxa Church. Um, I oversee uh, local missions for us here at Doxa, um, as well as do some graphic design stuff. And then, um, like Morgan said, get to to lead a connection group with Morgan. Um, Yeah, so to start Doxa, um, we're going to be in 1 John today. Uh, But before we get into that, um, yeah, last week, we did something kind of different, and, and Rob had to pause and pray and process some, like, really horrible news um, before we got into the message. And I hate this, but we have to do that again this week. Um, and today we're, we're going to be talking about, you know, um, being real and vulnerable with each other. And so um, in the interest of being real and vulnerable with you, <laughs> I like, yeah— really don't feel like I have the strength to pray this morning. Um, but it's good and it's necessary, so if you'll allow me, I'm just, um, yeah, going to read this. So this morning, we're going to take a minute to acknowledge and pray the news that came out of Ames, Iowa from this past week. As many of you know, this past week at Cornerstone Church, a church in our network, and the church that planted Doxa. A tragic shooting occurred involving two young members of Cornerstone. An adult male shot and killed two women before taking his own life. So before we move on, we want to acknowledge the tragedy and the sadness in our network and pray for the families of the victims and for Cornerstone. So, Docs, would you pray with me? (sighs) 
God, your light. But the world just feels like really dark right now. And Jesus, your word says that you're near the brokenhearted. And so that we just ask that you would be near the families of those lost. We ask that you comfort the aims in the Cornerstone community. We ask that your justice be brought on earth as it is in heaven and that the violence would cease. And we ask that you would be close to us in this room, that you'd help us to process our emotions together, God. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. So yeah, Doxa, on um, behalf of the staff and, and all the leadership of Doxa, um, we love you. And yeah, I just, we know that, you know, a lot of you, you, you might not have like a connection to Ames or to Cornerstone, um, but we know that, that a lot of you do. <laughs> um, and so if you need, you know, to process with the staff, with your friends, with your connection group. Just know, for one, I am right there with you. And two, please hear me say that you have full permission and encouragement to do that. So, I love you, Doxa. Okay. There's no easy way to get into the text now, but I got through that, and now I feel like the rest of this is going to feel easy. But, um, all right. First John. We're in 1 John, the second week of our study through 1 John, and we're looking today at this idea that God is light. And I feel like this is, um, yeah, really timely for us in, in a time where everything just like feels so dark. We're looking at this idea that God is light and that we can be close to him and close to other people. So um, yeah, kind of just as a reminder, um, if you were here last week, Rob mentioned and, and encouraged that, that we as a church read through all of 1 John um, once a week, if you can. Um, you could spread that out all, all in, um, like over the week, or you could do it all in one sitting. It'd take you about 15 minutes, um, yeah, to read it all in one sitting. And, and I think that if we all do that as a church individually, um, you're going to get a ton more out of, um, yeah, each of these Sunday mornings. And, and as you're reading um, Doxa, um, yeah, this, this letter has just like brought me a ton of peace in a really turbulent time, but just to kind of like equip you and, and put some tools in your tool belt. Um, as you're reading the letter, it might even feel like, you know, this is like really different than like the other letters that, that we've read at Doxa or, or the other books that we've gone through as a church at Doxa. And that would be like an apt observation, right? Like Genesis read really differently, right? And, and that's because Genesis, um, which we just finished, or most of Genesis, right? Um, that was a narrative. And now we're reading um, a letter. The, the genre of this book is what's called an epistle, which is just a fancy word um, for letter. 
But you, but you might even be feeling like, man, even for a letter, this reads pretty different than the other books that we've been going through, right? The, the other letters that, that we've read as a church. Um, and that would also be an apt observation. John, as he's writing, it's like super, you know, um, like feels even like poetic, like kind of cyclical. And, and he writes this letter almost as if it's like more of like a sermon than like a formal like dear so-and-so letter, right? And, and so if you feel that, that's, that's an apt observation. Again, don't, don't be discouraged as you're reading it. Um, that's exactly like what is supposed to feel like. That's like what John is going for. And, and as you're reading it, you'll find that John uses this really poetic language throughout the letter, right? And today's message is a perfect example of that. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's the big idea for today, and, and that'll be the big idea for really the next several weeks as we're going through 1 John. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And, and the argument that John is going to make is that by rightly knowing that God is light and applying that, we can be closer to God and closer to one another. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, note takers. If you're a note taker, like Rudy said the other week, I'm one of you. Um, we're we're going to try and like, you know, just like follow John's um, flow of thought. We're kind of just like on a ride as John is pouring out his heart for this church that he's writing to and for us today. But these are the three places that we're going to be going this morning. God is light. So what does that mean? How can we have fellowship with God? And how can we have fellowship with one another? And Doxa, I really believe that if we get this, if we get that God is light and rightly apply it, I really believe that this can change our relationship with God for the better, and this will change the culture of our church forever. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, so what does John mean when he says God is light? Super simple statement, but packed with a ton of meaning. God is light. Right, like I, we probably have like some intuition of, of what that could mean, but but like we're not totally sure. Like, is, is it like the light in the room? Like, like my bill to MG&E? Like, I'm paying for God, right? Or like, is God like not heavy or whatever? You know, like it's neither of those, right? But even if we feel like we've got some intuition of, of what it could mean, like we we kind of have to do some work to um, be faithful to John as he's writing and figure out like what does he mean, right? Simple statement, ton of meaning. So to quote one of my favorite movies ever. Um, Goodwill Hunting, if I say the line, it's not your fault, Will. If you've seen the movie, you're like, please don't say that again, Sam, because that's like, you just like punch me like a ton of bricks, right? Like that analogy doesn't really make sense. Bricks don't punch, but you know what I mean. And, and you know the scene where a character says, it's not your fault, Will. And he keeps saying, it's not your fault, Will. It's not your fault, Will. But if you haven't seen the movie, you're probably like, sounds like a pretty boring movie. Like that doesn't sound interesting at all, right? Or, or to quote, my other favorite movie ever, because I've got two of them, um, and my guess is that probably more of you know this quote, you are a toy. So the movie, you know that one, right? The Godfather. No, I'm just kidding. Toy Story. <laughs> toy Story. You are a toy. Most of us have probably seen the movie, and, and so you probably know why that line is so funny and so tragic in that scene, um, but, but if you haven't seen the movie, you're, you're probably like, Sounds like a pretty uninteresting movie. Like that's an uninteresting observation for, for a character to make about another character in the movie Toy Story, right? You are a toy. But if you have seen it, you get it and you know why it's so uplifting when later in the movie the same character says, you are a cool toy. Simple statement, 
ton of meaning. So what does it mean that God is light? How can we know what John means when he says God is light? Well, I think we can do a couple things. First thing that we can do is we can read what John read. Okay, so John's mind as he's writing this, and just like in his everyday life, his mind would have been soaked with the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. And so like for some of you, how just in everyday conversation, you like, you know, can't help but, but quote the office. John can't help but reference the Old Testament and everything that he's thinking and writing. So a couple passages that I think would have been on John's mind as he was writing this passage. First one, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surfaces of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So page one, page one of your Bible, first thing that God creates is light. Immediately, God recognizes that it's good, and immediately this, this idea of light is packed with meaning of life and flourishing and order. That by God's word, we have light, and because of that, we can have life. Here's another passage that I think would have been on his mind. Proverbs chapter four. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so here we see that light is not just meant, you know, to kind of mean good, but that it's used as kind of an, an ethical metaphor about righteousness and sin, right? So he's using this physical thing, light, to kind of give us this picture of like, at nighttime, bad stuff happens, right? People can't see the bad guys coming. They can't see what they do. They can't see him going. But in the light, we can see what's good and what's wicked. We can do things by God's moral standard and ethical purity, or we can do things in the dark. And then last passage, again, ton of different passages, but here's just one more I think might have been on his mind. Isaiah 46 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. And so in the author's mind, in, in the biblical author's mind, and in John's mind, they would have seen, right, that, that the light not only represents moral purity, but that it also represents this idea of order and peace in a confusing world, right? It was dark. I was scared. I was confused. I can't see two inches in front of my face. And then God entered my life. The lights came on, and now I can see everything clearly. And so to know what God is light means for John, we can read what John read. But then the other really easy thing is that, that we can do is just read what John wrote, Right? Like what, what other things did John write? How else did he use this idea of light to help us get an idea of what he means? Okay, so John 1, great example. Uh, John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. 
So the word and the light by which we can have life, John claims, is Jesus himself. Another one, John chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus at night, and Jesus says this, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed, but anyone who loves the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So like Proverbs and like Isaiah, light is being used here to communicate both the idea of moral purity, but also the idea of truth. Evil deeds are exposed when they're brought into the light. And then John chapter eight, right before Jesus heals a a blind man, gives him his sight, Jesus makes this wild claim. Says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus says, I am that light that you need to see. You can turn from your sin and follow me, walk in the light, and you can have life. And so looking at what John read and looking at what John wrote, I think that we can sum it up neatly like this. For John, the idea of light encompasses two things. One, total moral purity, and two, the essence of truth. Light means total moral purity and the essence of truth. And God says, or John says, God is light. Not God has light, or or not God likes the light, but God is light. He is the standard of ethical morality and righteousness, and he is in his very nature the essence of reality and truth. God is light. That's the claim that John makes, and that's the claim that he's going to build his case off for the next three chapters. And so if that's what the light is, what do Jesus and what do John mean by walking in the light? Well, again, if we hold in one hand that light is moral purity, and in the other hand that light is truth and reality, I think we can sum it up like this. Walking in the light means being real about who you are and walking toward God in a way from sin. Being real about who we are and walking toward God and away from sin. Walking toward God and away from sin because God is light, he's total moral purity and to know him is to become like him. But also being real about who we are, right? Because notice in the passage, John is not making the assumption that that you're perfect and sinless, but rather that you know that you're not and that you're just honest about that reality with God and with other people. Why is that? Because God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So knowing that God is light and rightly applying it, or in other words, walking in the light, we can have two things. First, we can have fellowship with God. John says, walking in the light, we can have fellowship with God. And to help us get there, John is going to list off some lies that we might be believing that might be impeding us from having the fellowship with God that we could have. He's gonna go by them one by one, Um, So this is really easy for us. We'll just go by them one by one, um, the same. Line number one, it doesn't matter if I sin now, right? So so now that I've been saved and, and since I was saved by grace, by nothing that I did, and there's nothing that I can do to lose my salvation because I didn't earn it, does it matter one way or the other if I keep sinning? And I think that that's like a fair question, right? Like it's logical at least. And it's the exact same question that Paul asks and answers in Romans chapter six, right? Like Romans one through five, Paul gets done kind of explaining the gospel. And then in Romans six, he asks this um, rhetorical question. He says, what should we say then? 
Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And so Paul poses this question, right? He's entertaining the question. And notice what, what he doesn't say is, hey, don't, don't ask that. That's inappropriate. And he also doesn't say like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Just don't think about it that hard, right? He, he asks it and he entertains it. But then his response is, that doesn't even make sense, right? Like you were dead in sin and now you're not dead in sin. So why would you keep doing sin stuff? And he's gonna continue in Romans 6 to use this imagery of like, you were enslaved to sin, And then you were set free from sin to righteousness, but sin is gonna constantly be coming back to you and being like, hey man, what are you doing? Get back to work doing sin stuff. And you get to say right back to sin, hey man, I don't work for you anymore, right? I am no longer on your payroll. I don't have to work for you. John uses that same line of logic. Look at verse five. We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie and we do not practice the truth. John says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if we cover up our sin or if we actively pursue our sin, we can't be close to God. Not because not it's inappropriate or because it's offensive, just because it just doesn't make sense. Like you can't have a room that's 100% light and 100% dark at the same time. It's just nonsense. So does it matter if I keep sinning? Yes, because God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Okay, here's another lie that we might find ourselves believing. I don't actually think that I'm that sinful, right? Maybe you're not even concerned with the question of if you can sin, like if I'm allowed to sin, because you don't feel like you're that sinful in the first place, right? Like maybe you hear me saying all these things, you're like, yeah, Sam, that sounds good for like people that feel like really bad about themselves, but like, I don't feel that bad about myself. Like I'm, I'm basically a good person. I don't see myself as corrupt or evil. I'm not sinful. I'm a good person. And here's what John says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And, and I love how he says that. We deceive ourselves, Right? Like, that's a very bold way to put it for John. Like, like in our house, we might say, like, you played yourself, right? Like, you've tricked yourself into believing something that's not true. So, so if you say, I have no sin, John says, hey, man, you, you can say that, but, but then you can't claim to know God because knowing God means being in the light where all of your faults and fail, failures are visible and acknowledging that God knows and says and is the truth, and his assessment of you is that, yes, you do presently still have sin for which you need forgiveness. And so real quick, let's define sin, right? Because you might be hearing me, like I keep using that word and you're like, I'm not like cheating on my spouse. I'm not like embezzling money or whatever, you know? And like, you know, good, I'm glad. But, but sin as defined by the Bible is broader than that, right? It, it literally comes from this word that means like to miss the mark or like to miss your goal. And and the goal that the Bible says that we are constantly missing to sum it up is this, to love God and to love the people around us. The Bible says we constantly are failing at doing that. And because we constantly fail to hit that totally reasonable goal, we all have sin or are sinful. 
Our sinfulness destroys our relationship with God, the world, and others. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that though we ruptured those relationships, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve, rose again, defeating sin, death, and hell, so that anyone who would place their faith in Jesus could be made right with God and take part in the new creation where all that brokenness is being restored. That's the gospel. And maybe today, it's the first day that you see your sinfulness and you come to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't have anything to offer. I need your gift of free grace. That would be awesome. But maybe for you in this room, like you've been following Jesus for a really long time, like maybe even years. And this is just kind of the mindset that you've like drifted into. Like, yeah, I used to be sinful and yet like I, I needed to be saved, but I think that I'm basically good now. And just like the people that John is writing to, you need to be confronted to say, you know, actually, no, you do still have sin, and it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. And so I think all of us, we can drift into this attitude where when we're confronted with patterns of sin, we want to say, no, I, I don't see how that could be possible. I'm fine. I'm good. But John says, you never graduate from the gospel. So do I need to agree that I'm sinful? Yes, because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Third lie that we might find ourselves believing, I don't need to confess my specific sins. Verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right, so if that second lie was kind of about a a mindset um, that I'm not sinful, right? We have no sin. This, this third lie is more about covering up the specific sins that I've committed, saying we have not sinned. And so I want to address a couple things here. First, just on the surface of it, when we keep quiet about our sins, either by lying or just not being transparent, we are in effect saying to God and to the world, I don't have anything to confess. And the assumption here that John is making is that we know that that's not true, Like we know not only that we are sinful, but that we've willingly, actively committed specific actionable sins for which we need to confess and ask forgiveness. Forgiveness from God, forgiveness from people. But we choose instead to play pretend as if there's nothing to admit and in so doing, we make God out to be a liar. And so this is why, at least in part, why abuse cover-ups are so horrible especially when committed within the church. And when someone knows about an evil that's been committed but chooses to obscure the truth. And you know, for me, like, it's been like, I mean, the past two weeks has been like, you know, every half a week I get like something new in the news to just feel horrible about, but Specifically this, reading about the news the past two weeks um, of, of these church sex abuse cover-ups has been so painful for me personally because I've seen how sexual abuse destroys lives and it's made me literally sick to my stomach to read about so-called Christian after Christian that saw sin and had every opportunity to bring it into the light but for fear of losing power chose instead to follow the devil and stay in the dark. And John says, you cannot do that and claim to know God. 
It's completely against the grain of reality and the nature of God himself to obscure the truth and hide in the dark because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Victims of sexual assault, domestic abuse, racism, sexism, abuse of any kind so often never come forward with what's happened to them because they're not sure what would be more painful, to have been abused and be alone or to have been abused and have no one believe them. And so to you in the room, if you've been abused in the dark, I just want you to hear me say, God will never gaslight you. It's not in his nature. It's not in his character. It's not possible because God is light and he loves you. And there's no one you're safer going to. This is who he is and this is what his church is supposed to look like. It's good to walk in the light because that's where life and flourishing can happen. But then I want to ask for all of us, why is it then that we are all always so hesitant to step and walk in the light? Right? Like, can we just be, like, be real with each other for a second? Like, the idea of stepping into the light and walking into the light actually often, if not most of the time, does not sound pleasant. Like, it sounds vulnerable and uncomfortable sounds exposing and even terrifying. So why is it that we hesitate to walk in the light? Why do you hesitate to walk in the light? Maybe for you it's because you're scared. If I confess my sins, God is angry and wrathful and he'll destroy me if I come clean. And maybe it's because you're ashamed. Like if I confess my sins, God's disappointed and grossed out and he'll distance himself from me. And maybe it's because you're just like frustrated with yourself. Like I agree that I shouldn't keep sinning, but yet here I am. If I confess my sins, God is impatient and confused and he's this close to giving up on me. So what is that for you? I just want you to think about that for a second. In your mind, answer that question. What keeps you from confessing your sins to God and being real with other people? Be honest with yourself. We're looking for the real answer, not not the right answer. And then I want you to hear John say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and just. That is who God is. He's faithful because this was his whole idea to begin with, right? to set out to save us from our sin and the consequences of it and to reunite us with him. But then also he's just because like next week we're gonna be looking at um, a passage in 1 John where John's gonna make this, this image of like Jesus is like our advocate before the father, right? Like he's using this image of like a lawyer in a courtroom where like our lawyer Jesus goes as our advocate before God and says, your honor, I'm asking you to forgive them, not because it would be nice, but because their debt has been paid and it would be just. God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And it feels so counterintuitive that as we draw closer to God, we would confess our sin more. And it feels so counterintuitive that when you screw up in that exact moment, that's when God most wants you to come to him. But this is a feature and not a bug in the Christian faith. Because the more we confess, the more we see God's grace and kindness. And Romans 2 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to more and more repentance. 
I love how Dan Ortland puts it in, in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, when you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of your own deepest wishes, not against them. To put it the other way around, when we hold back, lurking in the shadows, fearful and failing, we miss out not only on our own increased comfort, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do. His joy and ours rise and fall together. Doxa, it is so safe to step into the light and to walk in the light. God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. He is happy to do it. Here's what he promises you in verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus, Jesus his son, cleanses us from all sin. We can have fellowship with God when we walk in the light because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, fellowship with God isn't the only thing that we get. And, and you might notice that I skipped part of that verse, right? And here's the wild thing about this passage. Like when I start the sentence, if you walk in darkness, you don't have fellowship with God. But if you walk in light, you do have, you'd expect me to finish fellowship with God. <laughs> and, and certainly logically that's true. And certainly like John wants us to, to assume that that's true. But interestingly, those aren't the words that he actually uses, right? He says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And so to John and to God, it's assumed that as you grow in relationship with Jesus, that will inevitably flow out and invariably flow out towards other people. And so with the last few minutes that we have, I just want to ask us a few questions about fellowship with one another to get us thinking. Okay, so first question, fellowship with one another, why should I want it? Right? Like, let's just be honest, right? Like when I said, we get fellowship with one another. Some of you, that sounded like I said, like, we get to have liver for dinner, you know? You're like, oh, man. Yeah, you really shouldn't have. That's, uh, that's awesome, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm aware that in a room like this, like, a lot of us don't really want deep fellowship with each other that bad. Or maybe we, we want, like, a little bit, like, within reason, as long as it doesn't interfere with whatever, you know, my time, my comfort, politics, money, whatever. So why should, why should we want it? Why should we want fellowship with one another? Well, the, sh the short answer is this. God seems to think it's good and expects it of us, but his word, I think, graciously gives us more specific reasons. And here's just a couple. Okay, the Holy Spirit works through community, right? So Acts 15, you get this awesome picture where um, the believers in the first church, they're trying to figure out, okay, now that this is like a multi-ethnic church and it's not just like Jewish believers, but Gentile believers too, like what do we have to kind of like require ethically of all believers? Like how do we figure that out? Is it all Jewish? Do we throw it all away? What do we do? And it's complicated, right? And so they, they get together, the believers get together and they hash it out. They discuss it together. And it's so interesting because what it doesn't say is like, you know, they kind of like came to something and we're like, eh, yeah, this is good enough. Like, well, we feel good about this. We'll figure it out again in like 10 years or whatever, you know. But it also doesn't say like, and then we fell asleep and when we woke up, there was like a notepad in the middle of the room and God like wrote on the paper like what we should do. But what it says is for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Like that's the Holy Spirit's MO. He makes the works and ways of Jesus clear in the community of Christians. 
That's just what he does. And so yes, 100%, we all individually have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But this is why it's so important for us to have plurality of leadership on any level because when we're on our own, sin so easily skews what seems right and the Holy Spirit works in community, us working together. And with that, God also shapes us individually in community, right? Iron sharpens iron. You've probably heard that proverb before. I think of Galatians 2, where, where the apostle Peter, like Peter, like no one is doubting that Peter is a Christian, right? Literally like Jesus says, like you are the rock on which I'm going to found my church. But Peter falls into this sinful pattern where he's distancing himself from, from the Gentiles, right? Because he's Jewish and he wants the other Jewish believers to think that he's cool. And even though like he was cool with the Gentiles when they weren't here, but now that they're here, he's like, oh no, I would never eat pork. I don't, I don't talk to them, whatever, you know. And Paul confronts him. And he's like, hey man, like this like racist behavior that you're doing, like what he says is, is this is out of step with the truths of the gospel. And man, I read that and like, that's like hard and scary. Like again, part of me is like, I don't know if I want to open myself up for like other people to, to be able to correct me, right? But the assumption here is for one, that it's, it's being done like in love and gentleness. But two, it's just very clear as we read our Bible that as we grow closer to God, we, can, we become more and more like the wise man in Proverbs 9, which says the wise man loves to be corrected. God shapes us in community. And then last, God is glorified in community, right? Real simple, Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, cover to cover. The Bible makes it so clear that all humans are created in the image of God and so God is more glorified in our differences, right? So like you have an experience with God and you have a perspective of God that maybe I don't have and I have an experience and a perspective with God that you don't have. So what if we swap stories and how much glory would God get from that? And how much could you and I learn from that? God is glorified in community. So fellowship, is it worth having 100%? Yes, it's worth having. But how do we get it? How do we get fellowship with one another? Well, you know, shout out to John. He made it really simple for us. It's the same answer. We walk in the light. We be real about who we are and we walk toward God and away from sin together, right? So here's what like walking in the light together would not look like. I'm gonna be fake about who I am and then try and improve myself in secret. Or here's also what it would not look like. I'll be real with who I am, but I have no interest of changing, right? But if we're real about who we are and we walk toward God and away from sin together, that's when real community happens. And so last question that I wanna ask to kind of inspire us is just what could our church look like if we did this, if we walked in the light together? What could it look like? Like that question should like excite us and inspire us, right? Like maybe you come to Doxa every week and you walk in and you see people singing and raising their hands and stuff, and, which is awesome, right? I'm not discouraging us from doing that. I'm not trying to kill worship <laughs> for the last, but you see that and you're like, man, everybody here like has everything together. Everybody here is perfect. I wish I could just be like that. And you know, I'll just, for one thing, like spoilers, they're not, <laughs> you know. Um, I know them, you know them. Like nobody here has their life together. We, we worship Jesus. He's the only perfect one out of any of us. But what if, 
What if it was abundantly clear when people walk in here that the people here don't take themselves seriously, the only thing that we boast in is the blood of Jesus? How awesome would that be? And what could it look like to just be real in your connection group? Like, I I don't even mean specifically like confessing sins, but just like being vulnerable with each other. Like just sharing the junk that you're going through. Like what if it was normal to just share your health problems, your financial worries, your mental health, your marriage, your singleness, whatever you're going through. We could just choose to do that. And then what could it look like for it to feel normal and safe to confess our sins to each other, right? Like not not everybody every week has to share everything at your connection group, but when you do have something that needs to be brought into the light, would you do it? Either with your connection group or, or even just like a friend in the church, And I know, you know, it can be so deflating to confess your sins, right? Like you kind of psych yourself up. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to confess the sin. And and then you do it and everyone's like, oh, okay. So uh, Morgan food was good. You know, you're like, well, that sucks. You know, like I, so let's just agree, you know, to not be weird. Like we can just agree (laughs) to that together. And if, and if you're in that spot, we've all been in that spot where either you're confessing or somebody does confess. If you don't know what to say, right? John Onowichek says this, a community that routinely confesses sin together is a community that's glad, growing, gracious, and grounded. So if you don't know what to say, real simple, just say this. Thank you for sharing that. How can we help each other? And can I share how I relate to that? And then you go to the gospel together. Doc said, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, let's like actually do something with that knowledge. Okay, so in a minute, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna have the opportunity to sing together. We're gonna read a corporate confession together. And I know like there's some weeks, especially when it's like cloudy like this, you can just kind of feel like I'm just going to get, get through the last few songs and oh, we're doing a corporate confession. That's weird and different, whatever. I'm just going to kind of like mutter the words, right? But we could just choose as we go into worship, like, no, I'm actually, <laughs> like, you know, Shane's made this really easy for us. He's written words on a screen that I can just read off, but choose to, to confess that back to God as I'm reading it. Let's take the chance to start the practice of living in the light and confessing these things back to God. And then this week, two super simple action steps that you can do. Two steps. One, tomorrow morning, I mean this, when you get up and you read your Bible or or whenever you read your Bible, confess your sins to God. Like get specific with God. Nothing fancy, just God today, this week, I did this. And then this week at Connection Group, number two, choose to be real. And maybe that looks like confessing a sin that you've kept secret in, in, in the dark, but maybe that just choose, or looks like just being uh, vulnerable and choosing to be honest in a way that you haven't been before. Docs, if we do that together, I guarantee God is gonna do incredible things in and through and around our church family. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Let's pray. God, you are light. We confess that to you. And we confess that so often we don't believe it. God, we don't, we don't believe that the light is good. It feels scary, God. I thank you, God, that you're kind and you're gentle and you're lowly with us. Would you help us to believe 
God, that you are light, that you're pure goodness and you're the essence of truth and that it's safe and it's good to walk in the light with you. And then Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength and the power to do that, God? God, we confess that, that we can't just like muscle our way through this and, and if we took the, the lesson of like, okay, I just gotta try harder on my own power, like we would be completely missing the point. And so God, would you help us to be real about who we are? I'm sinful and I'm broken and I don't have everything together. But then Jesus, would you help us to see what you've done for us and the new life that you've invited us into of walking in the light toward you and away from sin. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.